0: Welcome back to the VF Comics Podcast. I am extra excited today because we're all happy to have Professor Randy Duncan from Henderson State University with us. Randy is a pioneer in comic studies as a degree field uh, that you can go to in college. Um, He's worked with some of the most incredible people in the industry. Uh, Through him, I was able to meet uh, Paul Levitz just a few weeks ago. Um, And, you know, he may get into some of that today. We have so many things to talk to him about. Uh, but we're going to start our focus on what he teaches before wandering off that beaten path. Uh, with me here this week to grill our guest, as always, is Tom.
1: Hello. How are you?
0: I'm <laughs> good, buddy. And Meg. I'm
1: <laughs> so sorry. I muted because Caleb walked in. Sorry. Authenticity
0: is important, but if you get distracted again <laughs> while we're Sing. doing something I not pay you
2: for. I was trying to be good by muting. He came in and just went and i was like caleb <laughs> oh,
1: no. showing it. how the sausage is made today <laughs> in this episode.
0: and james is going to be a little late for us today so we are going to go ahead and get started um so before we get too far into things i kind of wanted to just give people who may or may not know uh randy or seen anything he's done before just kind of give them a layout of you know some of your history with comics and how you came to be a professor of comic studies in Arkansas of all places. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um,
3: well, the, the reason I'm in Arkansas is because I was in Vermont and it was too darn cold. Uh, so I came South. But, um, <laughs> um, I probably read my first comic book in 1966, about eight years old. Um, and there was a, convenience store nearby called time saver. I grew up in new Orleans in the, in the ninth ward and, uh, they would have these coverless comic books. I didn't know then that, um, you know, the retailers are supposed to tear off the cover and send that back in and then throw away the comics. But some people would send it in to get the credit. Um, you know, they got kind of a refund for what, what they didn't sell. And then they sold them for five cents. And so as an eight year old, is like, cool. Yeah. <laughs> something, something I can afford. Um, so I think it was yeah. a cover, <laughs> story, um, starring the Legion of Superheroes, and that was written at the time by a thirteen-year-old Jim Shooter. So I really connected with him, you know. Uh, it, it wasn't very sophisticated, but it was pretty sophisticated for a eight-year-old. Uh,
1: so yeah.
3: um, to jump ahead, I'm um, I'm at LSU and I'm um, in the PhD program there. And oh, I guess I should say that. Um, I was really lucky in that comics grew up at the same time I did. Because if you think about it, um, we're starting to get more serious work in the seventies, you know, when I'm getting to be in my later teens. Um, And um, I discovered things like Will Eisner's spirit from the past. Um, And then in the eighties, you know, if you hadn't been reading uh, raw, the comics anthology in which mouse was serialized, then suddenly you saw the collected mouse. There was the Dark Knight Returns. There was Watchmen. Um, you know, Will Eisner was doing graphic novels. And, and so by the time I'm in college and I wanted something a little more sophisticated, comics are giving me that. Because, you know, early 80s, um, we, we get um, Alan Moore, Steve Bissett's Swamp Thing. And then that leads into Vertigo, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, so I never had to give up reading comics um, because... I didn't outgrow them. <laughs> they just grew along with me. And uh, that yeah, is an incredible like,
0: timeline. Yeah. 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 It's
3: a it, it's, it's funny because that's what uh
1: Neil Gaiman mentioned that Swamp Thing is what got him back into to that as well when he came to, to our school and did a talk. That, that 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 run of Swamp Thing is what pulled him in. And yeah, made it was him just noticeably like a, different, yeah,
3: well, you know, than anything else. And it's kind of cool now that um you know Steve Bassett was the artist for most of that, and we have the uh, Stephen Bissett collection here at Henderson. And then he has donated oh, cool. all his original um, artwork and stuff related to his business and whatnot. Um, so, But I'll, I'll mention that later. But um, So anyway, <laughs> I'm working on the, on the PhD and I'm still reading comics. Um, and um, I did a paper for a film class in which I looked at Frank Miller's Daredevil and how it was cinematic. And I did it, I turned in something about five times longer than the requirement. And so the professor said, um, and he didn't know anything about comics. He said, Randy, you seem to be really into this stuff. Uh, have you considered this as a dissertation topic? And I said, you can't do that, can you? You can't do a dissertation on comic books, can you? And I, I was in a, a rhetoric program you know, at LSU in, in the communication version of rhetoric rather than the English version. And so I ended up doing a doctoral t- dissertation on the rhetoric of comic book form which I finished in 1990. Um, finally. And so, you know, with, with academics, the dissertation kind of sets you on a path, except I was on a path that didn't exist. It was just, you know, <laughs> a forest that people hadn't hacked through much yet. A um, few people like Tom Inge had had written a little bit about, about comics. Um, but, you know, I was young and stupid, and I thought, well, I do that. And it was kind of good that it ended up in Henderson um, eventually because we're a teaching institution and we don't have that pressure to publish. And there wasn't much of any place to publish comics research at that time. So I would present at conventions like the Popular Culture Association Convention or whatnot. Um, and then probably 91, I should find out the exact date of this. I taught under special topics, comics as communication. And um, I could do that because I I became department chair at a pretty young age. And I gave myself permission as department chair to teach that course. Uh, (laughs) Nice. So, so again, it was just things were kind of falling into place for me, you know, being born at the right time, having a professor who was kind of open minded to something um, that most professors would have thought was just totally silly and not worth doing a dissertation on. Um, And then, you know, Henderson has been. Incredibly supportive, I and mean, we we have a um, a really nice collection of graphic novels and um, most of the books of scholarship written about comics. So I'd say probably the best collection in the mid south, at in the in the Huey Library at Henderson, uh, and that that kind of made it possible for me to teach those courses. That was a long answer to something, event. No. Oh, that was great. That
0: was great. No. That's perfect because you know. I was just wondering, I was like, no, you know, thinking about the time you had to have grown up. I'm like, who t- was taking comics seriously enough to let you do that? Like, did you have an inheritance and you paid like Henderson off to let you huh? do it? I just I, I I couldn't, you know, it but it it does sound like things really from your time period of reading. So you had a really good history of just different kinds of comics from the wholesome legion of superheroes and then through the 80s with Swap Thing and Watchmen, like, you know, it's. I mean, just you, I mean, what a, what an incredibly blessed life. (laughs)
3: Um, And there was the alternative comics movement. I kind of missed out on um, underground comics because I was um, still a little too young at the time they came out. And um, Mm -hmm. my mother kind of monitored my reading and she decided comics were okay. And she noticed I was getting a better vocabulary from them. But she would not have approved of Zap Comics or uh, or, or anything from no. <laughs> Ripoff Press or uh, yeah. Uh,
0: your but- uh, your mother wasn't a big fan of The Adventures of Jesus uh, or anything like that. <laughs>
3: <laughs> she, I think she'd have been okay oh. with that because she was uh, she went to church, but she didn't mind things being a little bit sacrilegious. So. Um, I don't yes. think that would have been. <laughs> awesome mom. What? That's so, yeah. cool. Mom been, so cool. It would have been it would have been more the uh, explicit sex and the drug use in some of the underground comics that you know. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah,
1: that's fair. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, absolutely. that's probably
3: good parenting right there. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, True. it's great that you bring up the vocabulary issue because I have recently at the library, um, had a parent who wanted their child to stop reading comics and read real books. Because for like vocabulary reasons, they were they believed that they just weren't, you know, expanding their vocabulary enough with comic books. And I let him know without saying that they were wrong, was just like, well, actually, if you'll take a look at this and, you know, per 1000 words, you know, I've laid out some basic studies that I was aware of um, to say that that actually there's some really great, amazing learning opportunities there. And if your child wants to read, you get lifelong readers from people who want to read, not from people who were forced to read.
3: Right. right. And that's that's one way so, that comics has been used a lot in um, encouraging kids to read, but also adult literacy, the idea of motivated readers. So mm-hmm. um, a lot of teachers have realized, hey, if I have these things in the classroom, when we're like on break and people take one of those off the shelf and read it, that wasn't happening before with with other books
1: hmm
3: absolutely
0: um, so uh, to kind to now to go back just to, to the comic studies part, so i don't I'm not sure how <laughs> well you could do this, but break down for us in just simplest terms, like what comic studies is what are the what are the what is the course load uh that your university offers um you know what are some of the things someone would learn in a comic stu- from a comic studies department
3: okay well, I think a good starting point for most people is comic studies is like film studies, but with comics instead of film. Because uh, a lot of people <laughs> have had an introduction to film class. Um, yeah. And so the the book that Matt and I wrote, you know, Power of Comics, History, Form, and Culture, um, was meant to be that sort of intro to comic studies book, just like your intro to film studies book would be. You, know, you might take as a freshman or a sophomore. Um, and so it's also doing the kinds of things that you do in film studies when you get more advanced, then you look at ways in which to, um, analyze comics, just, you know, like you'd later take courses on how to analyze film more in depth. And so, um, kind of our second major book was critical approaches to comics, you know, theories and methods. I don't know why that thing didn't sell better. That's such a gripping title. Isn't it? Uh, <laughs> didn't take off. <laughs> huh? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> But it ended up in lots of academic libraries, which was the point. And then it was used in some Mm -hmm. upper level or graduate classes. And so if anyone's kind of familiar with the path of film studies, that's kind of the path of comic studies. Um, it just happened much later, even though comics is an older art form, but it was denigrated for so long that it took a a good while for us to kind of drive a wedge into the Academy and get the, get the courses in there. Um, and just the way with film um, programs, you have people who teach from their specialization. So we have people who look at um, religious studies scholars who look at religion in in comics. We have people who, uh, especially, is post colonial literature, and they look at you know post colonial aspects of comics. So it has gotten vast. Um, um, I keep mentioning Matt. Matt is, is Matt Smith, but not the Matt Smith who played Doctor Who. Uh, <laughs> but he has for um, since 2007 been uh, co-author, co-editor, uh, conspirator with me on, on all kinds of projects. Um, and we, we kind of s- were thinking in terms of we want to provide the books that are going to help build, you know, a field of study and that you would need for, for these various kinds of classes. And, and one of the things we've been doing for a while is we've been um, the series editors for the Rutledge Advances in Comic Studies series. And so we've put out um, books that are just urban studies scholars looking at you know uh, comics from that perspective. We've, we've had books that are um, people who do empirical research I hope they don't ever see this because I find that kind of dull. But uh, but I read the manuscripts uh, <laughs> that came in and they seem brilliant. Um, you get an email from one of them. I hear you think my work
0: is dull. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but you know they do big data kinds of things, digital humanities approaches, um, that kind of thing, and so pretty much any discipline you can think of has been applied now to comic studies because ours is is not the only comics series, uh, not the only series of academic books about comics out there. there. There's quite a few of them now and there's academic journals devoted to comics. So it's a totally different world now than it was in the early nineties when I kind of, you know, was stepping into it.
1: Right. When did you really start to realize that that was happening, that you were um, getting a, a pool of resources like that and, and having like a community?
3: Well, um, with a, a fellow named, uh, Peter Coogan, um, who was a graduate student at the time, um, we founded the Comics Arts Conference, which was the first academic conference in the United States devoted just to comics. Um, There had been some, not necessarily ongoing conferences, but there had been some other conferences in in Europe and Japan. um, And when we started to see that grow, now one one thing that grew it is we did it with conventions, conventions, and we, um, after the fourth year, we became an official part of the Comic-Con International San Diego. This oh, San Diego cool. Program, wow. As people call it. So, yeah. So um, if we ever have those again in a full way, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, all four days of the con in one room, there are professors giving papers about comics and to Very pretty cool. large audiences, much larger than at most academic conferences I go to. Now, sometimes they're dressed as stormtroopers or the Joker. The people in the audience, yes, that's <laughs> But they're graduate students who ask brilliant <laughs> questions, you know. <laughs> so it's a different. Oh body. yeah. Anyway, that sounds. That that when it really started to grow, and we've been doing that for, we're approaching you know thirty years now. Um, although I don't know how to count these recent years where we just did little <laughs> Zoom <laughs> presentations.
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: So I think we've had like. 28.1 and 28.2 and, yeah. You know, um, yes. <laughs> but then there have been other, um, the international comics arts, uh, forum at first it was, um, and, and then it's become a, a regular recurring uh, conference. And now it's so specialized that there's, I think 12 years have happened so far of the graphic medicine conference, which is just people who are presenting papers about, Um, comics used in in the medical field and related to health and people telling their own illness stories in comics form and whatnot. Um, So, so yeah, I wouldn't have imagined it would ever get to the point it's at. But um, by the early 20th century, I could see that was what was happening. It was just like a snowball that kept moving faster and faster and getting larger and larger. I don't forget. And I like to tell this little story of how one day I was in my office um, and I got a phone call and it was from Will Eisner. And if you don't know Will Eisner, the industry awards, the Eisner awards are named after him. And he, um, you know, he, he did the spirit back in the, in the forties, which was kind of a textbook that other artists learned from and then did graphic novels in the seventies and eighties. But anyway, um I had interviewed him at a at a conference, uh, in one in Dallas, for my dissertation, and so some of my examples in my dissertation were from Eisner's work. And I don't know how he found out about it, but he he heard that there was going to be a comics arts conference, and he and he he, he said, "Randy, can I go to that?" And um, yes, I know. I like. I tell people, um, I don't know, Will. I, I don't, don't know if people you've people made an impact in the
0: medium, huh? <laughs> I said, I don't know, Will. I don't know if you've made a big enough impact in the medium.
3: <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah, you made, Have you earned this, Will? Oh, man. So now that I'm single, I can say that might have been the biggest day in my life. When I was married, I said, after my wedding day, this the day
1: of my life. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah, there
3: you go. <laughs> so, um, and, and then I knew uh, Steve Bissett because I'd taught at University of Vermont, and he's a Vermonter. And I'd, I'd met him at a little conference, and he contacted me, and he said... And I'd already asked him if he would come and give his slide talk on the history of horror comics, which I'd seen part of and I knew was fabulous. And he said, i got a buddy who's doing a thing that's kind of like a, a theory of comics, but he's doing it in the form of a comic. You know? And so his, his buddy, Scott McLeod, came to that first Comics Arts Conference before Understanding Comics was published and did a slideshow on it. So our attendance was a total of about 12 people. But... There was wow! Scott McCloud and Steve Bassett and also R.C. Harvey. Oh my! Oh, gosh. If you know Bob Harvey, who wrote for it, yeah. Um, and and Leonard Rifus, who published Educomics Comics and has, has done some. So, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, that that's my favorite of the conferences, even though we've been doing it almost thirty years. So. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> were you, you, you were sense. teaching at, at. You were at Vermont at the time. No, I was or at Anderson at, at that time. Yeah, you were, you were at Anderson. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah.
0: Whoa. Oh, uh, yeah, just real casual, like Scott McCloud walking up. Hey, I've got this thing I'm working on and it's <laughs> I'm not sure wow. of the title yet, but uh, I
1: yeah, love yeah. that, though. It it shows it's it too like things like that start at that forum for everyone, Absolutely. you know, like he had to give it as a PowerPoint presentation mm-hmm. and look where it is now. You know, that's that's the stuff I think that's so inspiring to people when they can hear that and know that they're looking at their PowerPoint presentation and thinking it can really take off, you know?
3: Yeah. And, and Absolutely. Those, <laughs> those three guys, Will and, and Scott and Bob were kind of the foundation of comic studies in a way. So just the way back in the early days of, of film studies, it was directors, mostly Russian directors like Eisenstein and Kolshov, who developed the first theories of film and wrote the first theory books. Um, Will's books are aimed at artists and are practical guides, but they're, they're explaining concepts, you know, that people hadn't explained. Um, Bob Harvey and his articles in various places. And then he, he wrote a book um, that was so long that made him divided into two, The Art of the Comic Book and The Art of the Comic Strip. Um, and then Scott's Understanding Comics. Those things were what I used in my dissertation because there was nothing else. You know, there wasn't something in academic journals So a lot of my um, my citations are of Will Eisner, you know, and um, um, well, not Scott McLeod yet, but uh, (laughs) because that that came later. But uh, uh, of Will Eisner and and Bob Harvey um, and some things from the early uh, fanzines, because I tracked down some of those people who were were kind of writing theory as fans. um,
0: yeah, and I think, yeah, you know, one thing you were talking about earlier made me think that you know a lot of people confuse comics as you know mostly the superhero stories and you know the you know the modern pop idea of what comics can be and it's just the existence of these works and these conferences prove that they, it's just as a broad and incredible medium as anything else. I know sometimes people, I've had someone argue with me and be like, well, there's only like a few like really artistically great comics, you know, like Watchmen and and Mouse. And I'm like, yeah, but I mean, like, you know, they seem to negate the fact that and by saying that there's so many bad comics, it's like, yeah, well, there's lots of bad movies too. There's five Sharknado's and ten Transformer (laughs) 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 movies. Like, you know, like, the the existence of bad (laughs) in the medium doesn't uh mean that there's not something worthy uh of just you know that that doesn't have artistic merit um and it's so cool that you were able to kind of just from your own passion you know early on like i'm very interested in this and you know really started something um and I know you will never try to take full credit for it, but well, you were there. Alone. <laughs> I
3: mean, I, I came with in a generation of people who were like me who'd grown up with comics and and yep. and there were more serious comics to talk about. And and so um yeah, there there's kind of a wave of us that came after um Tom Inge and John Lint and some of those those first people who are doing things. Uh, a lot of people don't know John's work, um, but he he's very important for helping us here in this country to learn more about international comics. Um, he would every summer go and tour through parts of Africa or parts of Asia and interview different artists. And, um, and then he started, I think, just out of his own pocket, publishing um, the, the first real academic journal on comics in this country, the International Journal of Comic Art, and it's still being published. Um, and a lot of that focus is on the international work. And, and there's just so much of that. People don't realize how much in um, Brazil and Chile and Argentina um, there's a great love of comics and just tons of, of, you know, interesting work being produced.
0: That's incredible. Oh, my goodness.
3: Yeah. Um... I don't think I ever answered well, the you- question, though, of um, what oh. courses you take. <laughs> but-
0: oh yeah, what are yeah what are the yeah, oh, yeah. no yeah. it's Whoops. it's I figured this is going to be an easy conversation to get off of onto different tangents. Yeah, yeah. So well, yeah, what are the about courses? Eisner
3: story, you know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can tell me
0: Will Eisner stories all day, and I'll just sit here and listen.
3: Um, so there's two required. Ours is just a minor in comic studies, um, and so that's what in the U.S. we have available at about seven or eight institutions now. I think we were the second one at Henderson uh, by just a semester behind the the first person. Wow. But um, you would take um, what used to be called Introduction to Comic Studies, but now we just call Comics and Graphic Novels. Just um, don't hide the fact that it's fun and interesting, you know, with a title like Comic mm-hmm. Studies. Um, and then you take... Um, a number of you have a number of electives to choose from and at some point you do the um, comic studies project which can be a creative project it can be a historical project analytical you know we've had um, people who've who've planned and created a portion of a graphic novel we've had people who have looked at the evolution of Archie comics through the decades um, yeah you know, we've we've had um, Oh, I forget exactly what she did now with something with um, with funny animal comics, which not many people study anymore. Um, so that was a I think it was a something specifically about fox and crow, but I, I don't I don't remember the, the research question for that. But yeah, it's kind of whatever students are most interested in, and then they negotiate with me or with Dr. Langley, and and we say, okay, that sounds like that's a project that's worth three hours of credit. Let's, let's put together a syllabus of requirements of what you have to do for it. But in between, they might take things that are a psychology course with Dr. Langley. Um, the graphic novel seminar, the topics vary. And one spring, the English department teaches it. And the other spring, next spring, I teach it. Um, it's going to be on crime comics this coming uh, spring. I'm doing it. Um, and then there's a nonfiction comics course. Um, and then there's various courses in the art department that you can take. And you you say that you want to make comics as part of what you're doing in that, that course, and you can get credit for the minor for that.
2: Very like to, cool. Yeah, I'd like to go back in time and take some of those. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's never it too BCO? late
0: to go back to college, Megan. No. <laughs> um,
1: Actually, um, a friend of Marcus's. Before I go into anything IAS, else.
3: Took huh? one of my courses this time. I said a, a friend of yours took one of my courses this time because I was teaching it only online. Um, oh, yeah. Was, um, and, Nick, right? Huh? Yeah, Nick. Nick, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep.
2: <laughs> I think I have a friend who took one of your classes. I know when I told her about this podcast, she was like, you have to get Randy Duncan. So I'm assuming that she has. Her name is Carrie, <laughs> Carrie Hill. She works at the Democrat Gazette now.
3: There, oh, you may I, not oh, I
2: don't even know if I'm allowed to say people's names on here, so I just forget that
1: I said. I mean, technically, 323. Three. <laughs> yeah, this is her <laughs> <address>. Sesame Street. <laughs> I mean, we but could we just make stuff
0: up and be, be like, my pal members. Barack Obama. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, did you guys have any specific questions for Randy?
1: Or anything? Yeah,
0: yeah, I mean, I James. You came late, in a little so,
1: bit late. So I'm not James, not really sure, sure what was been asked. <laughs> tardy Tardy for class. You know. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um,
0: well, really, we just talked to him about his early history. Um, so, uh,
2: yeah. Mm. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to. James, yeah, a of few um, words. I thought that was um, leading into a question, James. So, what well, well, we could ask him about some of the recent topics we've been talking not about. That was, what have you been
3: lately, up to lately? And, um,
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know the uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the situation with the uh, labor, the labor issue at Image. Oh yeah. Uh, you know. The, oh,
0: that's the, true. The, the, the
2: I'm talking about unionizing and the uh, and, and the history of uh, of how creators have been typically treated in the industry. Um, I know that uh, uh, that's not a new a new issue as far as you know how. A lot of creators have had, uh, uh, you know, their their rights taken away for certain characters, and, and how right now there's a lot of lawsuits going on. Actually, mm-hmm. Disney is actually suing some of the uh, some of the creators, uh, people who had created Iron Man and Spider Man. I think it's Ditko and um, maybe Bill Everett's family and some other people, uh, not the actual individuals, but their families or associates. Yeah. Uh, that's going on. Yeah. It's kind
3: of a shame the original creators didn't benefit more from it, but some of the families are, are benefiting, um, you know, obviously the Siegel family for, for Superman. Um, and most Mm -hmm. of those, uh, sorts of settlements are not disclosed as to what the, you know, what the settlement Mm -hmm. was or what ongoing payment there is. But, um, but you know, there is some because you you see that, you know, it says appears courtesy of the Siegel family or something like that, you know, um, Oftentimes, but, um, for people that not know the, the comic book industry in America pretty much grew out of the pulp magazine industry, um, in which, uh, you know, some of our great writers emerged, but they were being kind of exploited at being paid a penny a word. And it was, um, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't work. You were, um, proud of necessarily. Didn't want people to know you worked for the pulps sure. necessarily, but, um, you know, during the Depression, people were glad to be getting some money. And so um, it was oftentimes those pulp publishers who then went into publishing comic books. So Martin Goodman, who started mm-hmm. the company that eventually became uh, Marvel, you know, was one of those. Um, Harry Donenfeld, who was instrumental in starting the company that became DC Comics, you know, was also a pulp publisher and a distributor. And, um, and, and so that kind of same mentality of, this is trash, and we're not going to pay you much to do it. Um, and whatever you do, we own, because people had to sign a check. You know, when they endorsed their check, it it had the work for hire language that said, whatever you've done, we own. Um, and most of them were young. You know, Siegel and Schuster were in their late teens. Will Eisner was a teenager when he started. Um, you know, Stanley, was like a 17-year-old kid who helped out around around the office. And then when Simon and Kirby, who weren't a whole lot older, (laughs) left, you know, he took over. Um, So kids were having fun doing the comics. Um, They needed the money during the Depression. And then that system just kind of stayed in place uh, for as long as the publishers could make it stay in place because it benefited the publishers. Yes. Yeah,
2: yeah, it seemed like the... It took Kirby to kind of bring attention to that. And also, uh, I know that Alan Moore also was pretty uh, pretty instrumental right, right around in that same period, I guess, in the 80s, whenever people really started, yeah. you know, initially talking about, you know, what exactly ownership meant and what, uh, you know, being a creator on in comics and, you know, meant and how that would affect the uh, financial standing of, you know, you know, what, what you got from characters.
3: I couldn't hear your volume too well, James, but you might've said this name at the beginning there, but Neil Adams was a important person who Mm -hmm. kind of spoke out for artists like Jack Kirby and for mostly for Siegel and Schuster. uh, um, And Mm -hmm. had been involved in trying to, to organize um, maybe a sort of union um, early on that didn't, didn't pan out. Um, I think it was the fact that there there got to be these younger people who had grown up reading comics and loved the medium and wanted to work in it. Mm-hmm. But they wanted to work in an industry that would treat them fairly. Whereas that first wave of young kids who were in the Depression <laughs> were working out of desperation, um, and they all thought they were going to do something better than comics someday. But Neil Adams' right. um, generation – that was their burning desire was to make comics and to have it be a career. And for it to be a career, um, you've got to to be able to profit out of it and and profit from your intellectual property. Um, mm-hmm. And in that talk we had or interview with um, Paul Levitt's that, that Marcus uh, attended. Um, that's one of the things we got into a little bit. And um, I've got some friends who don't like Paul very much <laughs> because of decisions he's made, but on the other hand, a lot of people say he's one of the the people who was instrumental in bringing more rights to creators, getting them royalties for reprints, that kind of thing, um, and um, paying a little bit of money um, for um, characters appearing in, in TV and movies. So Steve Bissett, for example, is a friend of mine who has his issues with Paul, who's also a friend of mine, um, and partly over a Swamp Thing story that got killed. But... Uh, but he, he's, he said he's making he made more money from uh, John Constantine in, in uh, movies, in the TV series. Oh, wow. Than, than he ever made out of the Swamp Thing comics. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that yeah, was kind of a pleasant true. surprise yeah, and, to him, you know, when he first got that, yeah. that, um, that check. Because he co-created John Constantine with Alan Moore. Um, mm-hmm. Alan oh, Moore wow. didn't say anything pleasant about that I know of, but, you know.
2: and it seems like these days you know the financial aspect is really kind of almost taken taken over the entire mentality of comics and that uh so many creators now uh you really get the sense that it's you know i i noticed that a lot of creators tend to like really churn out books at a rapid pace. I mean, right now people are, uh, you know, whoever the hot creator is at at the time usually has three or four comics coming out a month. Uh, uh, you know, trying to uh, take, take advantage of a certain window. Um, and I also know that, you know, since the, the large telecoms acquired, uh, you know, Marvel and DC and, uh, and now that they've started having success with the properties that comics is kind of almost like an afterthought at those companies. And it's more or less a, uh, an idea factory, uh, IP factory, IP farming was, what was a term I think we used on here one time, uh, where, uh, you know, you're just seeing every type of idea kind of thrown at at the wall, uh, for these different characters. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, You know, I I just wonder at at some point just how important the actual process of making comics becomes for these companies, Uh, you know. And if if there is a a movement amongst creators out there to like really sort of embrace, you know, if you're going to bring an idea or a concept, you know, make it a comic, you know.
3: I think most of the creators uh, working in the in the mainstream industry still love comics, and, and most of the editors do. I mean, they're all hoping to become Mark Millar and have virtually everything they've created uh, yeah, <laughs> become a movie or a I, streaming series what, 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 and, and what become seems you know, like. fabulously wealthy. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's that's sort of why Paul didn't continue as. Um, as president and publisher of DC Comics, says he loved the comics, and uh, Warner said we need someone who's more about the movies, and so you know he was replaced. Someone who came from the movie world, and that was partly because um, you know Disney had acquired Marvel, and Marvel movies were successful. And if you look at all of the early uh, press when it was just being talked about that that Disney might acquire Marvel everything is in terms of IP of intellectual properties. You know, all the Disney people are talking in terms of this is a, you know, a vast collection of intellectual property. (laughs) They didn't say this is a company that creates great comic books that people love to read. (laughs) That's not at all the way they were thinking about it, you know? So so you're right Mm -hmm. about that from the, from the corporate level. I think that's, that's the point of view. Um, But I think down in the trenches, the people who are writing and drawing and editing the comics still are comics people, you
2: know? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, <clears throat> but, but could we imagine a world where, you know, someone like a uh, Mark Millar or, you know, somebody like that who wrote, you know, the biggest comic, biggest selling independent comic out there. And everybody came calling for a, for a TV deal. And he just said, no, you know, I mean, I mean maybe Alan Moore would do I was about to say, that. I gonna say Alan Moore would do that. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> yes. But but I mean it, it, you know at, at what point can we like say that the that that the comic is our priority and not our like stepping stone, you know? I mean that's what I always kind of get Oh, you're thinking
1: like it's with. being created for yes. with the idea of being adapted.
2: Well, and, then, and, and and I know that a lot of these, you know, even the indie publishers are being snatched up by Netflix, or mm-hmm. you know, whatever are, are like basically contracting with these places just for IP. You know, it's like, yep. You know, I, I think Grant Morrison had been doing some stuff with Boom Studios like that, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, it'd just be cool if you know somebody, if, well, you know, would, would just like step up and say, you know what, I'm just in, in, in it for the comics, but well, this is. I- this is, uh, I, I mean, I, I don't even even know if a, if a writer or an artist these days could survive on just comics. I
0: don't See, know, I, but I know. think that maybe that's part of it, is that the pay may not be there. But I feel like if you wanted to get into, I, you know, I think as popular as comic IPs are for adaptations, it's definitely attracting people for that reason. But there's also a lot of special skills and talent that go into like writing and put together a good comic. And I've read lots of good stuff to where there's got to be love in there. So maybe for a lot of these creators, it's a little bit of both. I'd love to blow up, but I also love this medium. Um, because to me, like your average Joe just isn't a Like there are so many ways to get into the field of writing and screenwriting or anything like that, that, I would say like your average person isn't like, oh, I'll write a comic to get into it. Like, because comics still have a bit of a negative stigma associated with them uh, by your average person. Um, but they do sell. So I, I won't, I won't negate yeah, your yeah, point, yeah, I won't like, negate your point, but I'll be like, you know, it could be a little bit of both. I think there is, you know, there's, you know, like you, we were talking about creators making tons of different stuff. James Tenyon is making, is writing so much stuff right now.
2: But yeah, he's, some of, he's like kind of like my example of like man, yeah. strike while it's hot, do everything you possibly can, you know.
0: But what he's doing, some of the things that he's doing are also like so good. It's just like he is he he's got to enjoy, you know, somewhat a love creating something in this medium too. And if he gets rich on the side while he makes something he loves, so be it. And maybe yeah,
1: that's just I mean, me being that, optimist that to like your pessimist. <laughs> no, I'm curious. Well, that, and that's what I was like. Well, now that's I'm curious if words. you if you believe that <laughs> content created for that, you know, like commercialization or whatever, can't be of quality or that, of, like, of merit.
2: He signed that that huge Substack deal, you know, because he loves the comics.
0: You know, I mean, the Substack, um, the Substack issue is definitely. Something that has been popping up in a lot of forums and stuff like that that I've been checking out about creators kind of using their name and their work to uh, make some real good side money.
2: Um, well, that didn't. That didn't. You couldn't really count that as side money because they're well, doing comics. It's just you know they're emailed to you or whatever.
3: Yeah. So I don't know. But like I think anything. one reason people, <laughs> aside from the money, one reason people are reluctant to say no is that they've created these things. They really love these characters and they think, and they can now reach a much wider audience because successful comic books sell under a hundred thousand, often a good bit under a hundred thousand. you know, um, so, (laughs) um, and I know when you go to a comic book convention, you think, wow, look at all these, these people that love comics, but out of the 125,000 people at say Comic-Con, um, I'd say, well, more than half don't read comics, you know, they're there for other things, oh, yeah um, yeah, and so yeah, that's true, you know it, it's got to be tempting to say i could I could reach so many more people if this turned into a streaming show than I can, laboring each month to put out this comic that seventy five thousand people read.
2: That's true.
0: And yeah, good uh, writers, you know, if they feel like they're really confident in something, they have a message they want to spread, they're going to take the opportunity to get it out there. Um, But, you know, sometimes some of that stuff does get lost in the
2: adaptation. Uh, Go go be a television writer.
1: (laughs) It is crazy to think, though, that if you had an audience of 75,000 that you would consider that small or not successful, you Mm -hmm. know. Because you tell- could be writing for like an audience go, of like twenty five, you know, like, like us, like, <laughs> like us. <laughs>
3: yeah, like, it's
1: just, I mean, you know, like seventy five thousand people were were clamoring for your book. I mean, like if anyone to, tell,
2: to, to get us to get comic sales back to the, where they were in the nineties, you know, let's get them back to like a million. You know, that way I'll, uh, you know, in, in thirty years I'll be. Finding them all in my back issues, you know, coming through constantly all the time, you know.
0: And just like 90s comics, they're worth nothing. Yeah, exactly.
2: (laughs) Um, Welcome to the VF Comics Podcast, the most cynical comic podcast uh, you'll ever listen to. James I, has arrived. I, yeah, James got
0: here. I was like, Oh, here's Deb. Like we need to do the Debbie Downer image over, you know, for Saturday Night Live. <laughs>
2: I don't know. I, my thing is, is that comics as a medium, you know, I, you know, obviously I, I got into this business late in life, you know, because I loved it. And, you know, it'd be nice to, you know, see a, or, you know, a rebound in comics the way that, that we've seen with vinyl, you know, or, you know, so, so some of the other mediums that, uh, you know, people are kind of coming back to. Well, I think, uh,
3: I think there it may be there, James, but it's not going to benefit your store because it's online.
2: Um,
0: yeah. Because web sure. comics,
3: there's just so much good stuff out there now. And so many people are into that. So, um, at our comics club meeting, usually we meet once a week and, um, and I would give away comics every time we met. i just put a bunch of comics out there, and we'd do a little lot of, you know, draw tickets and get to see who chooses first. And the majority of people who show up for a comics club meeting aren't interested in print comics. Because wow. all the comics they read are online or web comics. And oh, not that they yeah. aren't good comics. I mean, wow. a lot of them are the same kind of genres that you'd find in print. But they're they are kind of like, eh, I guess I'll take one of these things if you want me to. But uh, <laughs> Oh,
0: well, and Randy, I don't know. I don't know if you mind me saying, and you can tell me, and I'll cut this part out. But I remember when you emailed me about uh, attending Paul Levitt's talk, you were just like, "Yeah, I, none of my students really know who he is because they all read web comics." <laughs> <laughs> so it'd be nice to have someone there who knows who that person is.
3: Yeah, yeah. Wow. Nicholas was the only one who was excited about it, and he had to be at work.
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, bummer. Yeah, <laughs> I was surprised to not see him there. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah, but you know, we did it kind of in the middle of the day, and uh, so that that wasn't good for him. But yeah, he he was excited that that happened in the class he was in, even though he couldn't be there for it. But but he was maybe the only one. I think there was one other student who you know sort of knew that. Yeah, but but even saying that he was you know had been the president and publisher of DC Comics, they're like, eh. <laughs> what? yeah. What? I, I don't ever read oh DC goodness. Comics.
0: That's neat. On my TikTok <laughs> now. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> I. <laughs> Wow. I feel like I'm becoming an old man. We're showing our age. (laughs) (laughs) But
3: it it is is sort of a golden age of comics (laughs) right now. I mean, with all the good stuff that's being done, and a lot of it is not from the publishers we're used to. A lot of it is coming from, um, you know, book publishers. You know, um, so Random House, for example, you know, uh, is publishing lots of, of things. And so most of the major book publishers now have a graphic novel line um uh, and and that's where a lot of the the more you know the stuff that's taught in English classes is, is is coming from um well and but, i've know, seen i, so, I, I feel like i've seen so comics. many
0: like and I, you know at the superhero comics you know people talk about the superhero movie fatigue after just 10 years of movies and i'm like i've been <laughs> guess how long <laughs> i've been reading the comics <laughs> you talk about fatigue but um you know, I, I've just noticed more and more great stuff coming out of independence. You know, uh, you know, you know, DC and Marvel are putting out their stuff, and to me, that my personal favorite—I can't, I don't have the numbers, so I can't say success—but my personal favorite stuff that you know both have been putting out is stuff that's not a part of their main set. That is their—it's not tied to canon or you know uh, or anything. Like last week, I—I I think one of the things I suggested was DC Black Label. Uh, series because they're always like three to six issues long i think the last god was 12 issues and you don't have to worry about what other comics you're reading or crossovers and you'll get a beginning middle and end and they're just really good and high quality same with james the bad idea stuff um Mm -hmm. james is you know i'm so glad that james is one of the is like the only bad idea shop in the state because I was able to see it and it stuck out and these, they're doing these tiny little runs and they're telling their story and it's, Oh,
2: it's so good. And it's it's just comics as comics, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I mean, everybody's speculating that there will probably be, you know, some sort of media deal or whatever with those, but it's just nice that, you know, it's it's not digital. It's not... Uh, and yeah, not digital, comics. they're not re, reprinting it or it, anything. It, it's, just, it's just comics as comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it may be a cynical, you know, money grab, and, and they might decide to do something later. But, uh, you know, I'm kind of digging it now. Uh, you know, we'll see how what, what things look like next year. But, uh, you know, Matt Kent and... Uh, uh, Dave Laugham has been working with them. Uh, Robert Venditti, uh, you know, Margaret Bennett, a lot of great uh, creators have been working with them and have done stories through their bad idea. And, you know, that's that's one of the sad things I think that's happened because of their, you know, sort of a huckster, you know, uh, uh, media faux media outrage stuff that that they do online and all kind of covers up is the fact that they're making good comics, but you know, that's marketing, I guess. But,
0: uh, Oh yeah. I mean, what stuff stuff like that always gets its, you know, clicks. It's one, one place I can totally get with you on is I don't want to post constant negative like podcast episodes or even on, um, or even, uh, YouTube vids of just like you see this stuff. Oh, politically correct Superman strikes again. I, I you know I know it gets the, it, that stuff gets the clicks. I'm would rather not partake in it, but I'm also not unaware that
1: that's how you get attention. it well, uh, yeah, like, got attention r- ranting about it and trying to find an audience that way.
2: And and, and yeah. the idea is kind of like targeting probably <laughs> probably some folks that maybe might need it. Uh, you know the, the speculator market. You know is obviously their. Uh, you know who they really go at. You know by by like creating this sense of scarcity and, uh, you know, you know don't miss out on on this. Get it while you can and, and printing incredibly low number of books and things like that. Uh, you know if it is a joke on them, then you know they're worse targets to uh, <laughs> to to, to tricks. <laughs> you know. You know,
1: while we have an, an educator here too, I'm curious because we haven't really talked about this. But what do you guys think about? Because I feel like there's a renewed interest too in censorship of certain books, like uh, Persepolis or American Born Chinese. That uh, like my wife is an educator; she teaches Persepolis, and and parents always um, buck at it, and and uh, and have even gone as far as to like have it try to have it removed from the library and stuff like that. And so. Um, I don't know. We have two librarians and a and a shop owner and, and an educator here, so it's gonna.
0: I feel like see. we'll go on a rant plenty. I would definitely love to hear Randy since he couldn't join us every week. Um, what he thinks about that?
3: Well, it's not something you know we experience it much at the college level as you do at the K through twelve level about you know um, the the reading um, that's assigned for courses or whatnot. But um, I, one thing I would say is that. Uh, if you're not a member already of the comic book legal defense fund, um, you should consider joining that. Um, and so that is an organization that um, comes to the defense of comic book store owners, um, for example, and that, that's a lot of whom they end up uh, defending is people who, who sold something. Uh, and then a parent got upset about something that the kid bought at that store. Uh, and I know that's um, you yeah, know, particularly in the age of um, you know, the, the, nineties, the when there was just all kinds of stuff, you know, that was all over the map. Um, and it must've been hard to keep up with what you needed to put, you know, in this section that was, you know, not open to kids uh, that had to be difficult. Um, but the, um, the comic defense fund is, I think a worthwhile, you know, activity that kind of stays out there and is vigilant about those sorts of things uh, both for shop owners and for libraries um, yeah they'll they'll come to yeah. their, their defense
2: yeah you really have to be careful on uh, <laughs> i've i've almost got like a like a second sense to it you know when, whenever somebody comes in i can almost like feel what kind of like person i should probably make sure their kids you know stay in a certain section you know uh i know that you know the way i've got my store laid out i try to keep all the you know, a, a child-appropriate stuff right there at the front, you know, for the kids to kind of grow.
0: Yeah, and you got right heavy there. metal, mm-hmm. Vampirella right there front and center for the yeah. kids. Well,
2: <laughs> no, but uh, Boombox and uh, Scout, uh, or their Scoot imprint is great. Uh, you know, th- there's a lot of indie comics right now that are doing kids' comics that are, like, fantastic. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know there's always plenty of people always complain about that. They're not being good stuff for kids, but there really is. I mean, you know, oh, yeah, I, yeah. I know that people talk about Marvel and, and DC and, and what they're offering, but you know, if you look beyond that, which is what everybody else is doing, really, like we we're saying with, uh, uh, you know, some of the uh, bigger publishing houses, you know, they're not you know, worried so much about that as yep. they are, you know, they're, they're doing original content and, uh, and it seems like that a lot of the indies and in the, in, in the comics world are, are doing that as well. Uh, but, um, you know, I mean, nowadays I think that uh, it's not quite a, as much of an issue as it like, like Randy was talking about back in the nineties, whenever, you know, it was a little bit different. I, I think that the perception of comics has changed. Mm-hmm. I think that, um, your average person who doesn't know about comics here in our state, probably just sees it as like something that, that that nerdy old men like to do. So, you know, you probably need to check just, you know, be careful just in case. Uh, And, uh, you know, usually if, if you send them to the Marvel and DC stuff, like the regular universe stuff, you know, you can just tell the parent, are are they watching the movies? Okay. Well, they can handle this. Uh, But, uh, you know, they're, You you have to be careful with some stuff, but, uh, as, as far as like just flat out censorship in schools, I mean, that's, that, that sucks. I mean, uh, I can see it happening. I know that, but,
0: uh, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate in our current uh, climate anyway, it's one of those things where, you know, having worked at schools and now working in a library, you start. Censoring to the point that you're banning these books out of these areas, you've created an opportunity for anyone to find something obscene about anything. And, you know, I hate the, you know, sometimes I feel like, you know, the idea of the slippery slope is kind of nonsense but at the same time yeah it's traditionally a bad argument right yeah it's a bad <laughs>
1: argument
0: but i you know when it you know when, when it comes to banning a book it's like it starts off with you know this one simple thing but then people are like oh look they got away with it and the people that look to ban don't and do things like that they don't stop
1: They you, yes coming at yeah it. it can set a really bad precedent you're right and it and it opens a door for sure
0: um but we are starting to super-duper out of time, which kind of stinks. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and get us to the, uh, the next section. And really, it's the last thing that we're going to talk about today. And that is just getting a reading recommendation from Randy this week. Randy, we love for our listeners to have something to that they can go read every single week. And so usually when we have a guest on, we ask them to bring a recommendation just to get a different opinion than, you know, ours on here.
3: Okay. Um, Well, I've got two uh, recommendations um, because one of them, I'm going way back in time to a minor publisher um, from 1990 uh, caliber press. Um, So some people like Ed Brubaker, uh, David Mack got their start with Caliber Press. Um, but one of the things I really liked from, from that was uh, Baker Street. And Baker Street is one of those alternative versions of, of Sherlock Holmes. So a female Sherlock Holmes and, and John Watson, although they don't even use those names, but, um, but the, the Holmesian type woman lives at 222 Baker Street. <laughs> uh, you know, it even, you know, dresses a little bit like like uh, classic Holmes. And um it's just it's by um Guy Davis and uh Gary Reed. And Gary Reed was the publisher of Caliber Comics and he wrote a number of the comics. Um and so Baker Street is the name of it, and there was at least one sequel, um came out a few years later, maybe more. Kind of hard to keep up with the nineties with the flood of black and white comics, but it's black and white. Oh, you know, okay. was a small publisher. Um and it should be pretty cheap. I, I should have checked before I came on to see how cheap it is on Amazon. Uh, <laughs> but I don't think there's a lot of people clamoring to get, you know, their back issue of, of Baker Street. And there are collections of it. So you can, you know, it's, you can find the collected Baker Street. Um, and it, it, ma- it makes a really nice read, and especially Holmes fans, I think, would enjoy it. Um, the other recommendation is more recent. Oh, did you have questions about that one?
0: Uh no, not Black really. Holmes, like, so yeah, like, yeah. I, I sure.
2: really want to read it. <laughs>
0: well, there have been uh-huh. some great revisionist and updated versions of that. So to see somebody, especially like an indie publisher, hit it, I feel like sometimes the the smaller and more independent the group creating something, sometimes the more wild or different they can do, different kinds of things they can do. So this sounds really cool. I'm gonna have to yeah, yeah. And that. I forgot to mention Don't the uh,
3: the punk flavor to it. Uh, so it's Sherlock Holmes with a mohawk. Um, oh, yes. this <laughs> sounds incredible! I, this just is very up my alley. This is, this is super nineties. <laughs> <on laughs> like, yeah. Oh man. <laughs> so so the other recommendation What's, is more recent, yeah. um, from like two or three years ago. It's called Cover, and it was uh, from DC Comics. I think through I think they had a. A Jinx World imprint for a while. Maybe they still do. Mm-hmm. But Brian Michael Bendis' stuff. So a cover is by Brian Michael Bendis and David Mack, who are close friends. I think Bendis actually um, went online and became a preacher and performed the service at Mack's wedding, or, or, or maybe it was vice versa. Um, and they are characters in the book. Um, and so I don't want to give away too much, but this this is revealed pretty early on. That it's called cover because um, David Mack has has been a um, cultural ambassador for the United States. The State Department asked him to do that. He travels to other countries, talks about art, does workshops on comics sometimes, and um, and it had been kind of a running joke with him and Bendis that Bendis says, "I know you're really a spy." I know this is just a cover and that you're really a, a super spy uh, who's going on missions. Uh, so, so they made a comic book about uh, Brian Michael Bendis's fantasy about David Mack. Uh, and, what he, and we get to see them like at the, at, at the Bendis home at the dinner table, you know, and see them interact. And then, and then um, I won't give away too much, but it's a lot, it's a lot of fun and it's David Mack artwork which I always love and all every style you've ever seen him do is in this book. Um, because he, he uses different styles for different situations uh, and everything. And it's got that great Bendis dialogue. So, yeah, so a a fun read.
0: That's really cool. When, uh, sometimes you, you, I think as a writer, you have to have a certain amount of self-awareness to be able to write yourself in a book. (laughs) Um, But that sounds really interesting. It also sounds like something that you would joke about with your friends in the middle of night while you're drinking, Um, which maybe that's how they came up with it. It could be. I
3: I think that might have been the origin of it. Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's so fun. That
3: is so
0: cool. Um, Well, Randy, thank you so much for joining us this week. I feel like we we had... we got to talk about so much stuff and we didn't get to quite finish it. So we might have to have you back on again sometime because having someone who is just as educated and esteemed as you, uh, talk about comics with us is, was an incredible opportunity. I really appreciate you joining us.
3: Yeah, no, I'd be glad to come back. Um, while the, um, Marvel Universe of Superheroes exhibition still in the U.S. I'd be glad to come and talk about that. It's up in Columbus right now, something I co-curated, and then um, talk sometime about our our new uh, Center for Comic Studies at Henderson. So, oh, very yeah.
1: cool! Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yes.
3: Save, save some stuff for the sequel. <laughs>
1: there we
0: go. I was about to say, like, I was like, I know there's more to definitely more to talk to you about. I wish. Podcast didn't have to keep a time limit on though because uh there's so many great things. Did you um, was it the opening to that Marvel oh in Chicago that did you uh, go to it that? It was at did the Museum of
3: Science and Industry in Chicago for a while. It opened um, what was that, 2019 or or so, or 2018, I guess, in um, Seattle at the Museum of Popular Culture there. And it's been okay. traveling around. Um, but it was at the Henry Ford in Dearborn, Michigan, and it was closed most of the time because that was the when COVID came along, and 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 then oh um, man, yeah. It was in Chicago at the Museum of Science and Industry, and it just opened um, right after Thanksgiving at the the Center of Science and Industry in Columbus, Ohio, and it's going to be there for a good while. So if you happen to, and then I think it's going overseas after that. All of those decisions are way above my pay grade. I just <laughs> I just get to write cool little wall visuals about Black Widow, or uh, if you ever go to it, I'm very proud of the Daredevil corner because I had a lot of input in that one. Uh, That's cool. I used a lot of stuff for my doctoral dissertation. Finally, in the media tables.
0: <laughs> uh, yes. All
3: right. All right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, I will go let my wife know that we're going to Ohio next week. <laughs> I, I, oh man, I'd for love
2: Christmas, to do that. Christmas in
3: Ohio. Also, hey. at, at Ohio State <laughs> University. The uh, Billy Ireland uh, Cartoon Art Museum and Galleries, which is pretty fabulous. Um, some of the um, the best holdings of comics-related material are there, and they always have interesting shows in their galleries. Okay, you so, get so two two comics things out of it at the same time. There you go.
0: See, there you go. That's how she'll be convinced. Although she has told me that's the kind of. Ways she wants to spend our money. Um, But I'm about to talk way too much about my life and how (laughs) we spend the money that we don't have. Um, Again, that is going to be it for us this week at the VF comics podcast. Thank you all so much for listening to us ramble and make sure that if you want to support us, you can go to our Patreon link in the episode description. We want to bring you more content than just having these conversations Um, I definitely want to spend more time talking with James about movies and whatever that cup is that he has. James, what is that cup? The Goon. Oh my god! That is good. (laughs) That is incredible. So we'll talk more about James' Goon Cup if you go and uh, patronize us on Patreon right now. Uh, We will see everyone next week. Bye!